Let's pray. Father and our God, we come before you humbly thanking you for your word, thanking you that you loved us enough to reveal yourself to us. Lord, we just pray that you would fill us with a spirit of joy for your word, a joy that we cannot contain because of our love for your word. Lord, we pray that you would use your spirit to transform our minds this morning as we hear the preaching of your word. We pray again that you give Julius boldness to preach your word and your truth without error and boldly, Lord. Open our hearts and minds. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning to you all. It's a pleasure to be back. This is the fifth time I've worshipped with you all and now preached. I do send greetings to you from Faith Community Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And um, I also wanted to mention how Every time I preach, I have a group of pastor friends that I send texts to, and I ask them to pray for me and to pray for you. So you are being prayed for by many churches as we gather together to worship and receive the preaching of God's holy word. So our text this morning is actually two, Colossians 4, verses 5 through 6, and 1 Peter 3, 15. So you can keep a finger or a thumb in each of those texts. And we'll be going back and forth. Let's read first Colossians 4, verses 5 through 6. Colossians 4, verses 5 through 6. This is the inspired, the inerrant, and the infallible word of God. Give it your full attention. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Title of this message is Speak of the Gospel to the Lost. Uh, not too long ago, I met a, uh, a man named Michael, and uh, he was actually my Lyft driver. I was getting off the plane and on my way home, and we got to talking on our drive, and he asked me what brought me to Texas. And I'm originally from Chicago. I don't know if you hear an accent from Chicago, but um, he, he kind of did, and uh, I went on to explain to him how I aspired to pastor for some time, and I was tested and commended by the church to prepare for the gospel ministry, and that's what brought me to Texas and been studying full-time. Uh, and right away, as I'm talking, Michael's eyes are like, and this is a late-night drive. This is like 9 o'clock at night, so you don't expect the Lyft driver to like really be interested in talking. He starts opening up his eyes and big smile, and uh, his reaction led me to ask him if he was a Christian. And so I asked him, I said, Michael, do you profess faith in Christ? And he said, yes. And then I asked him, would you mind sharing with me a, a bit of your testimony? 
right away he got kind of a little nervous and big smile lit up and uh, he finally agreed. And as he went on he to give his testimony, I kept hearing um, this one word, try. He kept on saying repeatedly, I'm just trying to be a good person. I'm just trying to be a good dad. Uh, come to find out that there was a bit of health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that he had been hearing. But I kept hearing this word try and try, and so this gave me an opportunity to ask him other questions, and it got to the point that I was able to speak of the gospel to Michael. And I won't forget his response when I asked him after that, after speaking these gospel facts to him. I asked him, do you think that you're trusting in Christ alone to save you from your sins, or are you trusting in your works? And Michael said, well, in light of the way you explain sin, I'm not trusting in Christ alone. And I was encouraged. I was encouraged that night to have been able to speak to Michael about the gospel. And later on, Michael and I swapped numbers, and we remain in contact. To my knowledge right now, he is uh, reading the book of Romans. That night reminded me of how important it is to speak of the gospel to the lost. How often do I? Passed by an unbeliever. And little do I know how much he needs the gospel. As I was preparing to preach this sermon, I thought of how frequently I would speak of the gospel to the lost. For many years, I was a medical technician. I spoke to many patients and many different kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. And I had so many opportunities and conversations with others. But I also thought of how now I'm a full-time seminary student and uh, sadly, I don't look for the opportunity to speak of the gospel to the lost. And that's just sad. But I'm responsible for that, and I can't think that preaching in corporate worship is an excuse to speak of the gospel to the lost outside of corporate worship. All that to say the need to speak of the gospel is just as important for the minister of the word as it is for the church member. No one is exempt here. All of us need to speak of the gospel to the lost. And this sermon really is a doctrinal sermon on evangelism. Let me give you a brief definition of evangelism. This is all by way of introduction. One theologian has defined evangelism as simply this, the articulation of gospel facts. The articulation of gospel facts. This definition is helpful because it covers not only what is conducted in the public preaching of the word, but also what happens in the plain speech of the gospel. Think about this. Think about how not only does the Apostle Paul evangelize as he preaches in the Oropagus, but he evangelizes as he preaches and as he speaks in conversation to King Agrippa. When the minister of the word preaches from the pulpit in corporate worship and articulates gospel facts, he is evangelizing in corporate worship. Or when the minister of the word preaches in the public square and begins to articulate facts about the gospel, he as well is evangelizing but on the street. But when the ordinary Christian opens their mouth and begins to articulate gospel facts in conversation with an unbeliever, whether that be in their home, outside their home, or in the workplace, in the airport, at a park, they too as well, like Paul before Agrippa, are evangelizing in conversation. So you see, evangelism, in other words, just simply means to speak of the gospel to the lost. And that's the one main point of our sermon. Speak of the gospel to the lost. 
We're going to look at two passages, Colossians 4 and 1 Peter 3. And it won't be a complete exposition of those texts, but we will consider what they teach us about speaking of the gospel to the lost. And that's under four headings. So unfolding this one main point, four headings. First, speak of the gospel to the lost, redeeming the time. Speak of the gospel to the lost, redeeming the time. That's Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Second, speak of the gospel to the lost, setting apart the Lord as holy in your hearts. Speak of the gospel to the lost, setting apart the Lord as holy in your hearts. That's 1 Peter 3, 15. Third, speak of the gospel to the lost, always with grace. Always with grace, Colossians 4, verse 6. And finally, speak of the gospel to the lost, always ready. Speak of the gospel to the lost, always ready. And we'll turn back and conclude with 1 Peter 3.15. So we're kind of going a bit back and forth, a bit of back and forth. First, speak of the gospel to the lost, redeeming the time, redeeming the time. Look at Colossians 4, verses 5 through 6. What comes to your mind when you think of the word time? I know for many of us, when we hear the word time, we're thinking about the next thing we need to do. And it just seems that we're just, we just don't have enough time in the day to do all that we plan to do. We hear that time is short, and what do, we, what do we do? We often live in a rush from one thing to the next, and we try to do as much as we can. We try to fill the time. I'm not suggesting that there are unique seasons of life, busy seasons. Indeed, there are times in our lives when we providentially are hindered from carrying out particular tasks. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's easy for us to think that filling the time is redeeming the time. But those are actually two different things. You see, in Colossians, the Apostle Paul, after asking for the prayers of the saints in Colossae, he exhorts them to walk, or we could say, to live in wisdom towards outsiders. What Paul is saying is that the saints should rightly apply what they know to be true. They have knowledge, but wisdom is the right application of that knowledge. What is wisdom? The right use of what we know to be true. Paul is telling the church to be careful to rightly apply what they know to be true. And this was actually his prayer for the church. If you turn back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, you notice there he prays, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Notice there the word wisdom. It has the conjunction and, and spiritual understanding. You see, this isn't a worldly wisdom that Paul is referring to here. This is a spiritual wisdom. And if you notice, at the beginning of verse 9, this wisdom is the result or application, or we could say it's the fruit of being filled with the knowledge of his will, that is, God's will revealed in Holy Scripture. And so you see, Paul desires for the saints to have both knowledge and wisdom. Imagine it this way. Knowledge without wisdom is a head without a body. The professing Christian without wisdom is like a dead, rolling head. And wisdom, wisdom without knowledge is like a body without a head. The professing Christian without knowledge of God, of the truth that is found in Jesus Christ, is like a dead, headless body. We need both, wisdom and knowledge. So with this in mind, think back to Colossians 4, 5. Paul is telling the church, He's telling the whole body of Christ 
to live applying or adorning or wearing these truths that they confess before those who are outside. Think of the knowledge of God's one, verse 9, as those clothes that you need to wear. And Paul's telling the saints, put them on, wear those clothes. Let the outsiders see those clothes of truth. What are these outsiders? Who are they? They are outsiders. They are unbelievers. Those who are lost and without Christ in the world. These are people who are not trusting in Christ alone to save them from their sins. These are people who do not know the God who is truth itself. They do not believe. They are under the common curse. They are enemies of God and bondage to Satan. Think about Paul's language then of redeeming the time as it relates to those people. Look at the first words of verse 6. Let your speech. The apostle is still referring to those outside, those unbelieving Do you see the connection? Do you see what Paul is getting at? I'm convinced that according to the context, redeeming the time while including our walk, our life, our conduct, also involves our speech, our talk about the one who saves sinners. It involves our speech about the gospel. Speaking of the gospel to the lost is part of redeeming the time. We might promote the gospel in many different ways. In corporate worship, we promote the gospel. In our prayers for the unbelieving, we promote the gospel. In our giving and our support to our minister, our pastor, we are promoting the gospel. But here, the call is to speak of the gospel, to speak of the gospel. And actually, when we speak the gospel, we're redeeming the time. Remember here that the redemption, the word redemption refers to purchase. Think about it. The one outside is, as Paul wrote earlier in chapter 1, verse 14, an enemy of God. That one is in bondage to Satan. And they need to be redeemed. They need to be purchased. They need the payment that only Christ can provide. And Christ's sacrifice, our Lord's sacrifice, was that all-sufficient payment. And this is the Christ who we speak of. This is the Christ that we speak of to the outsider. We speak of his person, the eternal son of God who became flesh, the God-man. We speak of him who is the only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We speak of his work. We speak of both of his sufferings, his humiliation, and his exaltation, his glory. We speak of his incarnation, how the second person of the Godhead, very God of very God, light of light, was born of a woman, born under the law to redeem, to buy out those who are under that common curse. We speak of his sinless life, of his perfect obedience. We speak of his death upon a cross to pay the penalty for the sins of his people. We speak of his burial for three days. We speak of his resurrection from the dead. We speak of how he appeared to many witnesses and then ascended into glory. The God-man. We speak of how he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, now at this moment ruling and reigning over all. And our Lord Jesus Christ is on his way back. And we speak of that, that he is on his way back to judge the living, those who do not, those who do believe, and the dead, those who do not believe, those who remain in their unbelief. This is our Christ. This is the Christ whom we speak. Beloved, this is your gospel. This is your good news. This is what you confess. This is the mystery 
of the faith. But I ask you, are you speaking of the gospel to the lost? There's so much we need to do. There are so many things that we need to do from day to day. I'm sure we all have a list of things we're going to do today after corporate worship. And there's so little time. So little time to do all that we need to do, but let us find the time. Let us find the time. Let us make the time to speak of the gospel to the lost. I ask you, when was the last time that you spoke to your unsaved family member? When was the last time that you spoke to your neighbor about the gospel? When was the last time that you spoke to your coworker about the gospel? Or maybe that stranger that started some small talk in the store. Did you try to make it to the gospel? Speak of the power of God and to salvation for everyone who believes? Parents, when was the last time that you spoke to your children about the gospel? I've learned that times of correction, I have two little ones, and times of correction are, are great to confront not only their sin, but their great need for Christ. Sometimes I, as a parent, I, 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 it seems, both me and my wife, it seems like we're, we're spanking maybe like 10 to 15 times a day in love. 10 to 15 times a day, I have the opportunity to speak to my children of the gospel. To tell them, look, I disobey. I've broken God's law. And the only one who can save me from my sins is Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Then you can learn to enjoy to obey. and Find your delight in obedience and your satisfaction in the Lord God Almighty. Speaking of the gospel to the lost is part of redeeming the time. And so I exhort you, go, redeem the time. And as I do so, I want to also remind you of your covenant. For those who are members of this church, I was talking to Pastor Shiflet, your covenant expressly states how you have made an agreement to speak of the gospel. So keep that covenant. Keep one another accountable to speak of the gospel to the lost, redeeming the time. But along with this, speak of the gospel to the lost, setting apart the Lord as holy in your hearts. Setting apart the Lord as holy in your hearts. Turn to 1 Peter 3.15. Just notice the beginning of verse 15. Perhaps for some of you it's a familiar verse for defending the faith or it's also known as apologetics. But what do we read there? Before the apostle Peter encourages the saints to be ready to give an answer, he writes what? But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Other words for sanctify are set apart. In the Old Testament, there were objects, there were days that were set apart. They were put aside from a common use to a special use. But Peter here is not talking about a material object or a day. Peter says to set apart the Lord God. And that the Lord is to be set apart in our hearts. Now this doesn't mean we make God holy in any way. God is holy in and of himself. But setting him apart as holy in our hearts within this context means to speak of the gospel to the lost. When we're speaking of the gospel, we are setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts. John Gill writes, 
He's referring to Isaiah 8.13 here with reference to this text. He says, By declaring and proclaiming His holiness, as the seraphim in Isaiah's prophecy and the four living creatures in the Revelation did. This proclamation, if you notice in 1 Peter, it's not the proclamation of the sent minister. This proclamation is the proclamation described in chapter 2, verse 9, referring to the church, his own special people, that they may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is a proclamation of praise by the church. Part of setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts is to speak of him. And as we speak of him, we proclaim his praise. And notice, I just want to notice uh, another thing that came to mind, especially in light of the hymn we just sung. We, uh, we address the angels, the holy angels in the hymn we sung. I don't know if you noticed that. Because the holy angels are present as we gather, they watch. Notice that John Gill said, by declaring and proclaiming his holiness as the seraphim. We just pray the Lord's Prayer. Your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To speak of the gospel to the lost then is to proclaim his praises as the holy angels do in heaven on earth. On earth. They are an invisible, you could say, means of grace sent to support us and encourage us by their example. They are content being creatures, and they are ever swift in proclaiming the praises of our God. Sanctifying the Lord is holy in our hearts is not limited to only speaking of the gospel, but it's not less than that. And this becomes even more clear as the verse continues when Peter writes, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Saints, speaking of the gospel to the lost is an act of setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts. Think about it. If he has saved you, you believe he is holy. You believe that he is master, that he is your creator, that he is your redeemer, that from him and through him and to him are all things. So when you speak of him to the lost, your speech is a form of praise to the Lord. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who is rightly defending your case? Have you ever been in the presence of someone who is telling another what they thought of you? And when they spoke of you, they spoke of you well. They, they praised you, so to speak. In that way, by example, your name was set apart from common use to special use. Though God doesn't need our setting apart because of who he is in and of himself, blessed forever, nevertheless, our speaking about him to unbelievers honors him. Our speaking about him to unbelievers glorifies his holy name. Like in Isaiah 8.13, when we speak of him and his gospel, we are telling the unbeliever, it is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. And he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. So we're telling the unbeliever. Beloved, do you regard the Lord as holy? Do you, like Isaiah, know that you are a man of unclean lips, that you live among a people of unclean lips? Have you, like Isaiah, had the burning coals of Christ's blood and righteousness save you and wash you of your sins? Then speak of his gospel to the lost. Tell them about the Son of God, even as you wrestle for words and pray, even when you feel discouraged and how you stated those gospel facts. Remember that speaking of the gospel to the lost is setting apart the Lord as holy in your heart. 
When you're telling that outsider about the one who is holy of himself, you're telling the Lord, yes, you are holy. And in doing so, you're honoring the Lord. But if you're going to speak of the gospel to the lost, sanctifying the Lord is holy in your heart. You're going to speak of the gospel to the lost always with grace. Always with grace. Turn back to Colossians 4, verse 6. Colossians 4, verse 6. Think about it this way. If we're redeeming the time and sanctifying the Lord is holy in our heart, and those acts are the work of God's grace in our hearts, how could we not speak graciously? I mean, the result is inevitable. If our theology of speaking of the gospel carries with it that we are redeeming the time, that we are setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts, we are going to speak of the gospel to the lost with both grace and truth. Colossians 4, 6 reads, Let your speech always be with grace. Always be with grace. And I believe this refers to at least two things. Sustaining grace and the subject of grace. Sustaining grace and the subject of grace. First, I believe we learn about sustaining grace here. We learn here that as we speak, we should be depending upon the Lord, on his grace to sustain us, to strengthen us, to grant us courage to open up our mouths and speak of the gospel to the lost. Along with this, I think there is a sense here that gracious speech should be characterized by a winsomeness, by persuasiveness. It ought to draw attention to the subject matter and not detract from it. Growing up in Chicago, I saw a lot of street evangelism. And it was done this way. It was more of a distraction than it was a promotion of the gospel. Where these professing Christians were more of a distraction than anything from when they chose to speak, when they chose to speak, the time of day, uh, to where they chose to speak, in loud and busy places where people are just rushing to get home. Right? And it's the city. Nobody wants to pay attention to anybody. They're on their way home to how they spoke. Oftentimes, because it was so noisy, they had to raise their voice really loud. And many of them just sounded angry or timid. All of it, though, was a turnoff to the people. And those who stuck around, some stuck around, but they laughed. They thought it was a joke. They didn't take it seriously. Another thing to remember here, mocking and rejection is hard to face. And so what do we need as we speak of the gospel? We need sustaining grace, sustaining grace, to bear with the blows. We need to be depending on the Lord to give us the grace to speak the truth with long-suffering, patience, and with a sincere heart, not just saying, oh, evangelism, speak of the gospel, check. Got that out of the way. I'm going to go home. But also, I believe with grace refers to not only the sustaining grace, but the subject of grace, the subject of grace. We learn here that God's free acts and works of grace should be the subject matter of our speaking. What is gracious speech if not the speech about the one who is full of grace and truth? If speaking the gospel to the lost is done with grace, how can it not be done without speaking of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? When we speak about the gospel to the lost, it should reflect the scope or the target of Scripture. And what's that target? The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the scope. He is the target of all the Scriptures. The focus of the faithful proclamation should be reflected when we speak of the gospel to the lost. Preaching, indeed, is the primary means of grace. 
What did Paul write earlier at the end of chapter 1, verse 28? He said, him we preach. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Christ was the focus of his preaching. The relation to Christ was the form of his preaching, warning them, encouraging them. And Christ, Christ was the power of his preaching. Now the one who preaches, of course, is sent. There's a distinction between the one who preaches and the one who speaks of the gospel to the lost. Think about it this way. While all preaching of Christ involves speaking of Christ, not all speaking of Christ is preaching of Christ. While all preaching of Christ involves speaking of Christ, not all speaking of Christ is preaching of Christ. And this applies to street preaching. There's a lot of people street preaching. Where do they come from? What church are they under authority to? Have they been sent? The man must be tested. The man must be sent as a gifted brother. We confess this in our confession of faith as we believe it to be a faithful summary of Holy Scripture. That's a high view of the ministry of the Word. So all, again, all preaching of Christ involves speaking, but not all speaking of Christ is preaching Him. Nonetheless, Christ is the focus of faithful preaching. Therefore, he is to be what? The focus of our speaking of the gospel. Speaking of the gospel to the lost is to always be done with grace. And if it's to be done with grace, then our target is the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice Paul adds the word always. This means there is no room to be speaking about the gospel to the lost in any other way. Our speaking of the gospel to the law shouldn't be characterized by a disgrace. It shouldn't be characterized by rudeness. As we've heard it said, the gospel is already offensive. And our talk shouldn't add to that necessary offense. I mean, think about what we're telling people. We're telling them that the God who loves sinners is holy. That we are not holy. That we have not loved God. But that the Holy Son of God, he came to save sinners. And only those who repent of their sins and believe in him will have their sins forgiven will be robed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. We're telling them that all who do not, all who do not repent and believe, while under the wrath of God now, will undergo the eternal torment of the damned forever. That's offensive. Now you already know that how someone says something changes the way you receive it. If you're presenting bad news to a friend, you aren't going to raise your voice and speak with an angry tone. You're going to tell them the news with a tender tone and perhaps even with tears. And if you're presenting good news to a friend, you're not going to present that news as if you're half asleep. You're in the middle of a yawn. I have something to tell you. Or with a tone of boredom or with hesitation, you're going to tell them that good news with excitement and with eagerness. Finally, notice there that Paul adds right after this, seasoned with grace, seasoned with grace. In Mark 9.50, when our Lord speaks of saltiness, he refers to having peace with one another. Isn't that what we want our speech to be like with the unbeliever? I'm sure many of you have eaten bland food, food that had no taste, had no flavor. That's what your speech tastes like when there's no pursuit of peace with the unbeliever. Salty food, 
flavorful food. That's how your speech tastes when you speak to the lost, wanting to have peace with them, desiring that they have peace with God. Saints, when you open up your mouth to speak of the gospel to the lost, always let your words be seasoned with grace, with salt. Speak in a salty way. Let your speech be that salty food that pursues peace. Speaking of the gospel to the lost is redeeming the time, sanctifying the Lord is holy in our hearts, and to be always with grace, then you must speak of the gospel to the lost, always ready, always ready. 1 Peter 3.15 and then Colossians 4.6. Since we're in Colossians, look at the last part of verse 6. The last part of verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. That you may know how you ought to answer each one. And then the last part of 1 Peter 3.15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The apostle exhorts suffering saints there in 1 Peter. Suffering saints, he exhorts them to speak of the gospel to the lost. That's a reminder that no one is exempt here. And he exhorts them to always be ready. Think about Peter's history. He speaks from learning the hard way. Was Peter ready to give a defense when he was questioned by the maid in the courtyard? No, he wasn't. And you know what he did afterwards? He wept. He wept bitterly. This is the apostle who, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, later went on to to repent, to confess his sin before the Lord, and then to speak boldly of the gospel of God to the unbeliever. This is something we all need to be ready for, both the minister of the word and the church member. I have to ask, are you ready? Are you ready to speak of the gospel to the lost? Are you ready to be questioned? Are you ready to give answers for this faith? Are you ready to give a defense of the truth of the gospel? Let's stop for a moment and think about this a little further. What are the saints to always be ready for? To speak of the gospel. But notice that this speaking here is described as a defense. What does that defense mean? It's important to know that the word defense here does not suggest the following two things. First, defense does not suggest that our speaking provides certainty to the Holy Scriptures. Because the Holy Scriptures are the highest science of Scripture itself. They are the highest science. So our defense does not suggest that our speaking provides certainty to that highest science. Second, defense does not suggest that our speaking of the faith provides reasons that men may believe the Bible to be true. Because the virtue of faith, the grace of faith, provides that. So it doesn't give certainty to the Bible, because the Bible is God's word, written by holy men who are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it does not give reasons for men to believe the Bible to be true because the Lord renders his people grace, the grace of faith, to believe the Bible to be true. So we have to ask, what does defense provide then? 
Your defense and my defense provides clarity for our sake. Clarity in our understanding so that we may be able to discern the truth from error. So that men may be able to discern those who possess the truth versus those who are in error. Those who, Paul says, contradict contradict the truth. Those who don't speak of the truth, they don't tell the truth. This is the task of theology. And all of us are theologians. When we speak about God, we are doing theology, even though some contradict it. So we need to remember here that our speaking of the gospel is taking scripture, which is already divinely authoritative and received as true by faith, and doing theology, making that which is already authoritative, already certain, and already received as true by faith, understandable for our sake and for our fellow man. And we do that by our graced reason. We do that by thinking and by speaking from the scriptures by faith in our God. But what are we defending? What are we speaking about? The gospel. The gospel of God. And this gospel is described here, note the words, the hope that is in you. This hope is really the confession of our hope. It is our confession of that which is already authoritative, God being the author of Holy Scripture, and received as true by faith. That's a confession. As the preacher to the Hebrews writes, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10.23. You see, we don't hold the confession to make our confession faithful or trustworthy or dependable. We hold the confession of our hope because he, our God, is who he is, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-wise. It's because of him and not us. Now, this defense doesn't mean you should be able to answer any question about the faith or that you should be able to answer the kinds of questions your pastor should be able to answer on an exam. You don't need to be ready for an ordination exam. No, this defense refers to an always ready speech about the gospel. As one theologian wrote, the ground and foundation of the Christian religion, the first principles of the oracles of God. We might ask, what are those first principles? Answer, the first principles are what God has done to save sinners through Christ to the praise of his glory. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church in his first letter to them? He said this, 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I just want you to notice a couple things here. First, what Paul declares to them in the letter, he also preached to them. Second, what he declares to them and has preached to them, the church in Corinth, received. This word received is important as it shows up again in verse 3 when he gives a summary of what he is declaring to them. Think about it this way. What is declared is received, and what is received is spoken, confessed, This is what it means to hold fast. This reception is a reception of tradition or the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. 
As one commentator wrote, he, Paul, simply passed on what he had received. This is the accepted language for the handing on of tradition. This tradition is equivalent to a confession of faith, a summary of what the church believes the Bible teaches. You want to always be ready to speak of the gospel? Here it is. Know these truths in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. You know what two excellent tools you can use along with the Holy Scriptures? First is the faithful preaching of God's holy word. Listen carefully to the way that your pastor, the minister of the word, articulates gospel facts. Listen carefully to how he extends the free offer of the gospel. Preaching is the primary means of grace. So you have an example. You're not alone. You have one another. You have your pastor. You actually have the word of Christ who stands with the faithful preacher preaching to you. Look to Christ and look to his faithful minister and follow him as you follow Christ. That's the first tool. But you also have another tool. You have the Baptist Catechism. It's an excellent tool. You want first principles? You got it all right there in bite-sized form. So I encourage you, take it up. Make it a Sabbath day exercise. Get this. You memorize two question and answers a week. And think about it. In less than a year, you'll have all 114 questions and answers memorized. You could extend that. One a week. For two years, you have 114 question and answers memorized. And then they'll be be ingrained. You can pull them out in conversation. In this way, you're joining with your brothers and sisters as well throughout the centuries that have confessed the faith. Right? They knew what they believed. And that was the fuel that set aflame their hearts for speaking of the gospel to the lost. Saints, there are millions of people like Michael, who I mentioned at the beginning, lost in the dark, searching for the light of the truth. But we have the truth. We know the light of the world. We possess the gospel. Think of it. There are people in this world who are destitute, destitute of the gospel. They don't have this special revelation. We have it. We possess it. We know the good news. We know the good news concerning what God has done to save sinners through Jesus Christ So let us take this command to heart. Let us not shy away from it, from what our Lord has taught us today. Let us feel the responsibility that belongs to every one of us. And let us speak of the gospel to the lost, redeeming the time. Let us speak of the gospel to the lost, setting apart the Lord as holy in our hearts. Let us speak of the gospel to the lost with grace, discerning how to speak and when to speak and where to speak. And to be always ready, always ready in the words of Peter to give an answer for the hope That is within us. Let us be ready to express what we confess, the truth, as it is found in Jesus Christ. And again, if there be any here today who has yet to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, come. If you do not trust in Christ, you will die in your sins. Your heart will remain restless until you come and rest in Christ alone for your salvation. So what are you waiting for? Come. Turn from your sins. Come, trust in Jesus Christ. You trust in Christ and based upon the authority of his holy word, your sins are forgiven, washed away. And Christ's righteousness is your righteousness. All who trust in him are promised life eternal. So don't wait. Come now. 
Beloved, we have everything. We have everything we need. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? We have it all. So let us go out by the grace of our triune God and speak of the gospel to the lost. Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, we rejoice in you, our Lord and our God, our creator and our redeemer. Indeed, we have you. We have all that we need. And we give you thanks for those who spoke of the gospel to us, to those here who are believing, who, at one, who were at one point lost and yet now are found in Christ. We bless you, O Lord. We give you thanks for saving us to the praise of your glorious grace and for keeping us and for extending grace upon grace to us even when we sin against you and we fail to speak of the gospel to the lost. We fail to take to heart this command. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would forgive us by the merits of Christ, and that you would render to us the grace that is in Christ Jesus to speak clearly, to speak boldly, to speak with grace, to always be ready to speak of the gospel to those around us, to truly treasure this word that you have given to us, and even the means of grace, preaching, and the tools you have provided your church throughout her history. Father, we thank you for this contemplation. and We ask that you would help us to lay this word up in our hearts and to put it into practice in our lives. Through Christ we pray. Amen.